Welcome in, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on the Buddhist Wisdom Podcast. Um, today, I have my good friend, Casey Howe, with us. Welcome, Casey. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, I just thought to introduce Casey a little bit uh, for those of you who don't know him. I mean, I, we've known each other quite a long time now, maybe 15 years, something like that. Yeah. Years. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Probably 2000. <laughs> Six, six or seven, something like that. Yeah. 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 We met back at Land of Medicine Buddha, which is one of the main centers of, of uh, one of my main teachers, Lama Zopa Rinpoche. And I met uh, Casey. Well, you were, you were kind of like, you were doing, you were doing tech support and all kinds of stuff for the center. Yeah. I had the coolest job ever. I, yeah, I worked in their media lab at Land of Medicine Buddha and you did the filming of the teachings. Yeah. And they got to edit those. That's so That's spent right. all day and around the Dharma. That's so cool. <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, that is, that, that is a really cool uh, uh, job there. And, and just like I said, to introduce Casey a little bit, you know, and then Casey uh, moved on from that to actually uh, become a Dharma teacher, uh, meditation teacher himself. Um, Casey founded the um, Long Beach arm of Inside LA, um, just, just outside of... Um, well, it's in Los Angeles, but in Long Beach. <laughs> um, and and right now, Casey, you're mainly working with um, sustainable caring and gentle grieving, uh, which are which are organizations you you co-founded um, to work with people in in mental health, meditation, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of more secular based, you know, uh, wellness uh, programs. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so. Yeah, I think we could kick it off with that. I mean, you know, Casey and I, we we often are just sending messages back and forth in WhatsApp about, you know, some latest tech going on or, you know, Dharma stuff. Um, so we're always bantering. So I, I, I think we'll be able to get into a fun conversation today. And, um, you know, we were chatting a little bit about, um, you know, our backgrounds are mostly in traditional Buddhism, uh, Dharma. Um, those are our kind of like core passions as practitioners, like in our own practice. And then also we, we share that with others uh, in our teaching work. Um, so I think it's, you know, I'd love to hear more um, kind of what's going on, what's up for you in that. But also we were talking about the intersection between that and, and secular meditation work uh, because, you know, and tell me if I'm wrong, you've, you've actually done quite a bit in both and, you, and you're, you kind of move quite fluidly between them you know not necessarily like they're in the same talk but meaning like you have different roles you play in both those worlds yeah 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 my time is is you know is divided between i kind of like a day job and a nighttime job so to speak you know so like my day job is secular um i work in mental health facilities i work at clinics so a lot of a lot of uh work in like more the medical Kind of clinical world. Uh, my my business partner for sustainable caring, Dr. Moni Shavasa. She is a psychiatrist and addiction specialist. So her and I do work in different types of facilities and whatnot. And then yeah, then I also teach Dharma. You know, I teach Dharma still in in, in traditional settings, whether it be you know, leading retreats like silent retreats or one on one clients. I still love that because. Yeah. You could really go deep, as you know, with your your practice, your practice groups, and all that stuff. It's like these small groups or one on ones are they're brilliant. Um, yeah, so so still, you know, doing more traditional stuff, and then bringing in, you know, I really love all the different ways now that the traditional teachings have been woven into uh, different secular programs and just you know it's just uh, have been kind of more invited in to secular places so you can speak uh to the dharma in different ways uh, yeah. i always go back to like buddhism for example a dalai lama saying it's 90 percent psychology it's like buddha doesn't own awareness or <laughs> compassion or loving kindness so we say dharma but it's like the dharma is you know just what's, what's within our own selves and yeah. so uh, it, it it in and of itself can weave very fluidly you know through uh through humans in different different relationships and different environments and situations yeah 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 well put i you know i often think of like 
I, I kind of separate, I kind of make categories, not, not because, I mean, categories only matter because, you know, from my perspective, they're, they're superficial containers. So we have some clarity of what we want to work with, not that they're ultimate truths about something. Right. So yeah. sometimes I, yeah, sometimes I, I like to categorize, like there's general Dharma, which is, is, is all kinds of different you know, Indic wisdom traditions, other kinds of wisdom traditions. Even in Buddhism, we define Dharma as wider than Buddhism, right? Uh, just, just anything that's exactly. virtuous. I mean, the basic definition would be anything that's that's virtuous, that's going to move us into pro-social conduct. You know, compassion and action, loving action towards ourselves and others, um, and and mitigate harm and mitigate the causes of suffering. That would be considered Dharma. Um, and so, so yeah, that goes well beyond Buddhism. And then, and then I make this category of Buddha Dharma, right? Like, the, yeah, it, yeah. To, to kind of get clarity. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's one way I talk about it. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and I, I think that one like little, maybe limiting factor as far as like in a, in a secular teaching and, and sometimes I could, you know, I push the envelope here too, but which is like liberation. Like, so, so in other words, liberation as opposed to like stress relief or or you know a soothing anxiousness for example so so kind of like our intention can differ with if, if we're in a certain like if i'm in a clinic um i've suffered from lots of anxiety myself and so i know that there are certain techniques that work really well uh for for anxiety for example worked in anxiety and depression clinics for a long time so we could take you know, some of these teachings and have the intention to kind of like cool and soothe certain, certain things. These same things are really, you can be used for, for, for liberation. So not just that episode of anxiety or, or that ailment of anxiety, but it can move, you know, far beyond that. And I think the Buddha Dharma, we have that intention for like this more grandiose, um, liberation is more inclusive like lots of sufferings can be can be cooled and soothed <laughs> and so we kind of take that limiting to, but it's beautiful because it's kind of a dharma door they're like wow mm. if it if, if it helps with my anxiety what else can it help with and then it then it can really bloom from there you know yeah 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 so so what i'm hearing is it's a distinction I often make too between um, like cultivating um, our healthy humanness, like, you know, mm. working with distortions that help that, that don't serve us and trying to remove or remedy distortions in uh, mental health or physical health or energetic health. And um, I make a distinction between that and then liberative teachings, which go, you know, mm. go beyond healthy human beingness actually they go beyond humanness <laughs> so yeah you know, which is a whole tricky thing if we want to open a can of worms there <laughs> um but anyways yeah is that kind of more or less i mean i frame it like that i'm hearing you frame it in a similar way yeah is that is that, is that true yeah yeah I, li I love that word would you say liberative <laughs> or something? Yeah, liberative. yeah 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 because you know it's and I know that this word is kind of a funny word in, in a way, spiritual, like we yeah. like spiritual practices, you know, but it's of the spirit. So yeah. some things it's like of, of the human, like of the homo sapien, like the homo sapiens wired in a certain way and, and it's reacting to its environment in a certain way. And that there's certain things that can help physiologically, like with this homo sapien thing, yeah. you know, and then, and then there's things that are of the spiritual. There's, there's spiritual practices and 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 getting in touch with the spiritual aspects of of our own beingness right yeah. and and kind of more opening to that curiosity that investigation and working with those those spiritual aspects of ourselves and and i think yeah there's a clear distinction when we're doing secular work we're not kind of again with that intention and that curiosity moving into the spiritual we're kind of keeping it more you know as far as um as far as expectations and you know, kind of what we're getting, it's, it's more worldly. <laughs> and then when yep. it comes into our inner environment, it's more physiological as opposed to spiritual attainment or spiritual insights uh, yep. or spiritual types of little awakenings or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that word, that word worldly, um, 
yeah, that word's, you know, a tricky word for me, but I, I'm just kind of recognizing it as, you know, you, you started the conversation just talking about intention and motivation, you know, mm-hmm. often our intention is, is worldly in the sense of we're just trying to solve a problem now, <laughs> you know, we're trying to have mm-hmm. some shift, right? Is that, that's kind of how I think of worldly. I'm not sure if that resonates with you, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that, you know, cause it's, um, you know, ultimately, it, meditation and dharma is not really there to make our life quote unquote better yeah, right and yeah. and and yet because our relationship with life can get better we could feel better even in the chaos of life yeah but how we present it obviously like we're compassionate beings and we we have self compassion like we we want things to to feel a bit different you know so and it could be short term it could be a short-term, you know, fix of a problem, that that kind of mentality, and I and I think that's okay. Um, you know, if if we can have uh, techniques and whatnot that can assist alleviate these acute kind of thing, and then we could present like, well, again, if it worked like this, then you know, what if we walked through the world more peacefully, and no matter what we came upon what if we were at ease with that mm-hmm. and and that's incredible you know i really like the, the story of the buddha and how he met old age sickness and death mm-hmm. and coming from that from that world being a prince and being you know um uh sheltered from old age sickness and death the, the three heavenly messengers and i love his like motivation of like he wanted to meet old age sickness and death with grace like yeah. He didn't say, I want to be enlightened, or I want to be omniscient, or I want to be clairvoyant, or I want to be able to levitate, or I, I don't know. He, he's just like, holy crap, like, if this <laughs> is real, you know, I want to be able to meet this with with peace. Yeah. And, and I think that there's a lot of times when we come to the Dharma or these inner resource tools or whatnot, we're just like, oh my gosh, I'm suffering, and I really would like a release from that. You know, yeah. can it be liberating beyond that in that situation for sure? But wouldn't it be nice, you know, just to soothe this for right now? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think we, you know, for me, I've recognized over the years, you know, teaching about 15 years, um, meditation and Dharma, Buddha Dharma, <clears throat> is that like, you know, that has to be acknowledged somewhat, you know, this, the sense that, um, like, Initially, if that's not acknowledged for people, I think the idea of of liberation in the spiritual domain, liberation from suffering is what we're talking about. You know, you mentioned, mm. you know, the Buddha seeking liberation from birth, old age, sickness and death. Just in that statement, it's sort of like, I think that can be quite confounding for people if they're new to meditation or new to, you know, wanting some transformation or healing work. The, you know, you know, the, what can be confounding is in the statement is, freedom from birth right in that you know in that question or statement or exploration i mean that's huge what that even means because Mm. most people don't think birth is a problem and in buddhism we do (laughs) and what does that what what does that mean that we think it's a problem you see so right Mm -hmm. in that statement that's what's interesting about buddhism i think it puts forth these things that open up much bigger questions that are not easily answered you know not easily answerable Mm-hmm. And, and they're more like, you know, I treat them more as questions, more as um, fields of exploration to open through practice. Um, but initially, I don't know what you find because you work, uh, you, you know, you work with all flavors of people seeking healing and, you know, medita- people seeking meditation and stuff. Initially, I think that's quite confounding for people. And, they, you know, that's why I like your approach in the sense like you first we need to give people food. You know, if they come into our house. We're like, hey, check out this like really abstract painting that you're not going to understand, but I understand it and I love it. <laughs> you know, instead just they want water, they want food, you know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, totally. And I think that, you know, the, those questions, it's it's kind of those questions that we should be all asking, you know, obviously. And yeah. even though they're 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 confusing and and um we should be asking those questions because they could relieve suffering. And at the same time, we don't want to ask those questions too soon because it's just like, hey, yeah. yeah, like you mentioned, like let's give them something to eat, you know. But I think like, um, 
kind of maybe I'm going to talk this out. Maybe it's maybe it could start as something mundane and go and go deeper. But sure. you know, I wrote I wrote my poetry book. I called it Becoming Water. You know, yeah. and there's an opening poem, and it, it, I, I can't even recite the poem <laughs> actually. But it, it, it's speaking to like you know, if you're combustible, like if somebody throws a lit match at you and you're combustible, like you have those, those, those elements within you, like you can explode. Right. And, or you could light on fire or whatever. But if someone throws a lit match at you and your water, you know, Mm. that is diffused. Right. And so, you know, I think that I, I use that analogy at kind of for a lot of different things, like how we're meeting what's here. And I, I feel like that can extend pretty far. I can meet people pretty close. Like I should say pretty new, if somebody's mm-hmm. new and just meeting something that's very harsh, um, we could say, hey, look at like, let's look within to see if we could find something. We could take refuge somewhere within ourselves. Yeah. Like, let's just check it out. And then how far can can we take that? You know, Gartner Perche has this wonderful analogy of our awareness being like a flame. And he's like, you know, if those small branches come along, our flame of awareness can burn up those little branches. And we're like, yeah. look at me, like, isn't that <laughs> awesome? You know, that little thought that doesn't have a lot of strength to it or not a charge to it, you know, just resting in in wakefulness and it'll come and go. We can practice non-grasping mind, you know, and we're like winning in a way, you yeah. know. But then he's like, there's going to come a time when there's a, a log and that log is going to snuff out your flame mm-hmm. of awareness because we're practicing. And the more we practice that, that flame grows stronger and stronger and the more that we could burn up. And, and I think that's the, the inner freedom that comes saying, wow, like I have something within myself that is a place of refuge that I can meet these things and, and I can, I could allow them just to be or, you know, burn them up or whatever analogy we want to use. And then the more that I do that, the more comfortable I can kind of walk the earth because I know I'm not going to be swayed by everything. Mm. I list of that and everything else, you know. Wow. I love that analogy. I never heard of that analogy from Gretchen Ramsey. It's that's so great. good. It's in, I'll share a teaching with you, this retreat that he did that's on tape. <laughs> it's so Ooh. cool. There's so Thank much you. good wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, he's an amazing, amazing teacher. Amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, that's really great. Yeah, you, you know, and I think you and I share that that basic ground where, you know, for me, if someone were to kind of like pin me down and say, well, what's the essential, what's the, what's the Dharma practice we can't leave home without? Like, what's the essential practice? I would say the mm-hmm. practice of awareness, you know? Yeah. When we, you know, when we look at the methods of Dharma, they all they all come down to awareness because, you know, if we just have the path as the the uh, three pillars of Dharma, you know, Sheila ethics or, or you know, um, how we, we hold compassionate conduct, samadhi or meditative awareness, and then prajna or wisdom, they all involve awareness. And I think Everything. there's even what makes Sheila unique. And I think Buddhist ethics unique because they're, they're, Buddhist ethics are a way to train in mindful awareness around mm-hmm. our conduct, right? So I think, yeah. yeah, it's all awareness for me at the end of the day when it comes to the practice. You know, it's all about training yeah. flame, so to speak. Yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. And I can't remember where I heard it, and and um, but just yeah, somebody took the eighty-four thousand teaching. Maybe it's Joseph Goldstein. Maybe I was listening yeah. to one of his, you know, great Dharma talks, but um. Yeah, the, the, you know, the essentially Buddha taught non-grasping mind, yeah. you know, and, and you could say, hey, the fastest way to non-grasping mind is through bodhicitta, like, like you know, growing in that selflessness, taking away that that's something that we're just, you know, grasping onto so so forcefully, or you could train in, you know, insight and you know, prajna and all that, and, and the, the wisdom aspects of the teaching. But I, I love that because I, I agree with you 100% of, you know, awareness and then like, you know, uh, something comes along and then, you know, non-grasping mind and we're awake again. You know, I, I love, I love that as far as like where the rubber meets the road, how can we practice awareness, non-grasping mind, 
yeah. and, and we're, and, and we're back, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I like how you go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. But I, I want you said something that I want to go back around to. Sure, to. yeah. Keep it, put a bookmark there. <laughs> yeah, I will. Uh, <laughs> no, I love how you connected awareness and non-grasping. I, I often say non-clinging, you know, but but you know mm. it's the same for me. They're just yeah, I like that synonymous. But um, I like how you connected with awareness because I I often get questions from people because yeah, when you do look at the heart of the Dharma, it's it's about cultivating a process of non-grasping, non-clinging, or some people say non-attachment. But mm -hmm. I think people often get really confused with that because I think for a lot of us, there's this sense of like, most of us are relying 100% on our conceptual experience to frame mm -hmm. the world, to frame who we are, who others are, what, you know, what the Dharma is, what awareness is. And, you know, just to put it out there for some of the listeners who are new to these kinds of terms and ideas, awareness is, is not necessarily a conceptual state. Um, mm -hmm. There is conceptual awareness, but it's not thinking. It's definitely not thinking concept. And so already we're talking about states of mind that are not thoughts. They're not thinking. And so, you know, that means we're aiming at some sort of shift in the mind uh, moving towards non-grasping that has nothing to do with a conscious, like conceptual decision of like, now I'm going to, you know, push this thing away and take this thing. Cause I think a lot of people think non-attachment just means becoming cold or like willing oneself into it. And I don't experience the process of it like that at all. I don't know about you, you know, it's like, I've tried to will myself into non-grasping. It just doesn't work. <laughs> It's really painful, actually. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And some people like that coldness you're talking about, like some people kind of take non-attachment and think it's detachment. Exactly. You know? And I'm yeah. like, no, no, not detached. It's like, that's <laughs> kind of like an aversion or, or like a switcheroo, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. And, but it's really that surrender. Like you mentioned that that force comes with that more concept, more linear, more A to Z. And, um, like I say, like you, you can't get a PhD in enlightenment. Like you know, if we can get a PhD in enlightenment, we'd all just be conceptualizing our way there. And and it's only through surrendering or through subtraction. And when we wake up to awareness, if we look at the causes and conditions that delivered us into that, it was through a moment of surrender or or non grasping or um, non clinging, and. And that has to, and I think that's what I really do love about the heart practices is that they move us into like kind of this gentle release where we, where we can kind of feel full and complete and then kind of have the fearlessness, if you will, to allow that natural surrender into the wisdom and experience this like non-conceptual wakefulness mm. uh, because at least in, in my practice, sometimes it's scary, you know, to like to go into don't know, like, uh, you know, this, this non-conceptual thing. And um, it, it's really going into that kind of over the edge, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, going to don't know, I, I, I like to remind myself, like, only by I don't know, can I actually know, because again, we're talking about a bit of transcendence, you know, yeah. that which is looking at the mind, you know, we say, well, my thoughts, who owns the thoughts, my emotions, who owns the emotions, you know, my, my body sensations, who owns that? Cause those fall away. I'm still here, you know? So I really want to, to marinate and, and, and stay awake in that, in that, thatness. but it's sometimes scary. So if I can fill myself up, you know, with, with uh, loving kindness, compassion, mm -hmm. I could feel the fullness. Uh, yeah. I could feel the fullness I can move into emptiness because I feel full. It's almost like mm. I kind of like to call like the heart practices somewhat of a currency on the on the spiritual journey to to go to the next level. At least for me, yeah. like yeah, it's like it's it's fear based, and for me to really, you know, not to be moving from like enlightened Casey. Of course, my ego has no problem with enlightened Casey. But like the annihilation of Casey, it has a problem with, you know, <laughs> so it's like, but if I could really use those, those heart practices, then I could feel safe, you know, moving through this journey. And uh, I think that's one thing that hasn't been taken, you know, along for the ride as far as the secular stuff goes. Mm. Um, I just kind of want to just point to this. This is one thing that 
that I've seen in that in let's say the Tibetan traditions and some of the you know the other you know more traditional Buddhist traditions, there is so much implicit devotion because they have uh, really strong lineages. They have gurus. They have you know, teacher student relationships. And there's so much of, of course, there's techniques, Tonglin, seven point cause and effect, meta practices, all of these traditional practices. But then there's this other devotional aspect that's very, very strong, like just, just really incredible. And, and I, I think about this sometimes where some of these techniques where people get confused with meditation being a technique, you know, meditations, is what the technique delivers you into, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but so there's there's meditation, which has been plucked out of a system. And and then there's obviously issues with that, like long-term issues with like, how do I sustain a practice and all this other stuff that is missing? And then there's things like this, where because there's not this, this overwhelming kind of heart uh, from maybe a time of a little kid, that somebody's introduced into this kind of this web of interconnectedness with their lineage and their gurus and their parents gurus and teachers and mm -hmm. all this stuff so it's like when you get some of these different teachings uh and it's okay that we don't have all of that i think it is important that we're aware of that yeah and yeah. to replace it with more explicit heart practices mm. you know to really train in the heart practice a lot um, so we, so we understand like, yeah, you know, these, these are really important things to, to have a holistic approach to this. I mean, Buddhism, for example, it's not the only one, but Buddhism, Buddhism has been turning out enlightened beings, like an assembly line mm. for, for hundred, you know, 2,600 years. You look at these lineages yeah. and it's just like every single generation enlightened being, boom, yeah. boom, boom. Mold many. Yeah. Usually many. Yeah. yeah many from mm. each generation. If I love having lineages because you could read texts from these teachers in the seventh century or 11th or 13th century and and they're awake you know they're awakened yeah. and and so if you look at those systems you're like wow this system has been working for a long period of time yeah. and if if we change it we have to be aware of the system and start replacing these elements and another element not to keep going on for a while here but because you brought it up Another element is ethics mm. and, and morality. Like it's emphasized so much in the traditional practices and in secular practices, uh, it could be missed entirely. You can mm. go through an entire course in meditation and it could never be brought up, not, yeah. not, not, not a single time. And, you know, obviously if you're just speaking of, of meditation, it, like we just talked about meditation if we live a life or a day of service and kindness and, and all of that we go to meditate of course <laughs> the mind is at ease if you have an argument or you're kind of living out outside of wholesome intention you go to meditate very difficult <laughs> yeah, very difficult yeah. to practice so that's just like a little small example but um that's why i think those two things are just interesting to note like the the emphasis on the heart through devotion which is not really present and then also that overall ethics and morality yeah yeah i mean there's so much there i mean you know this is it's you know for first i'll just say a few things based on what you shared um which yeah i mean generally i i feel there's a holism that exists within indigenous buddhism that hasn't been replicated yet in a western form that, that's why you know i'm kind of um i'm a little bit on, an outlier on this i think i mm -hmm. think we're, we're 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 ways away from a western buddhism um you know mm -hmm. in, in a lot of these asian countries it took hundreds of years for for a buddhism to form culturally like a japanese buddhism or, or you know different kinds of Chinese uh, forms of Buddhism or Tibetan Buddhism. In Tibet, it took hundreds of years. It wasn't just like, oh, now we got it, you know, because we think we got it. Because there's a holism, there's a container that has to develop that includes um, all the aspects of our humanity and speaks to that humanity and at the same time offers freedom from 
the bondage of humanity. You, you see, and the, you can see mm-hmm. how complex that is. How do you speak to, how do you offer something to, to validate humanity, use the best aspects of our humanity, and then form a liberative practice to move beyond the bondage of it? Mm-hmm. You know, that's one way I, yeah. you know, I think of it. And so I love how you're naming, well, yeah, devote, you know, because devotion itself, a lot of us sometimes think of devotion in a more theistic way. And in Buddhism, mm-hmm. it's not a theistic devotion. It's a devotion that's a way of being, you know, which includes loving kindness. So in Tibetan Buddhism, for instance, people often ask, oh, why isn't there like explicit meta practices or loving kindness? Pra- like, why aren't those emphasized as much as in other Buddhist traditions? And um, the truth is they are like, you know, we, we, we practice the four immeasurables. And when we're developing relative bodhicitta, some of the points in that are developing explicit loving kindness. But there's also another answer, which is um, loving kindness is embedded in the intention we're cultivating for meditating in the first place. It's embedded in the care of why we're doing something, which I would say is kind of meeting our basic humanity, our, our, our requirement for warmth and connection as a human being, right? Yeah. But then there's this sense of, um, of devotion, which, which Tibetan Buddhism spends a little bit more energy on that area of putting love and cultivating love via devotion, which is a whole way of being with the world around us, you know, based mm-hmm. on the recognition that all beings um, have awakened nature. All beings are capable and have the possibility to be completely free because that's their nature. Mm-hmm. So already there's an embedded wholesomeness. There's already mm-hmm. something that's quite different to original sin. Basically, mm-hmm. it's it's the mm-hmm. opposite. It's, it's original purity or original um, wakefulness or original um, wholeness. I don't know how, how we could say it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I love how you're pointing out, you know, when we're kind of processing these things in the West, we also have to recognize kind of what are the cultural pieces we're missing that we need to fill in. Because mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with you. I think there's this sense of like basic warmth. A lot of us did not get a healthy human being connection to from a young age. Instead, we were fed competition, you know, other kinds of forms of uh, antisocial behavior, antisocial thinking, antisocial, you know, I use antisocial lightly, right? Not not, (laughs) not in a heavy way. Just a sense of like, if I'm being taught competition, how does that make me kind of interpret my friend or another person around mm-hmm. me or so another community member, they're, they're automatically put in an adversarial position as opposed mm-hmm. to a friendly, you know, so there's just basic stuff sometimes we're missing. Yeah. Uh, at least right. I can speak for the United States, you know, growing up in the U S uh, I'd love to yeah. hear your, your thoughts on that, but, but yeah, I love how you pointed out, like we can fill that in with the heart practices, loving kindness, compassion, devotion, um, and, and I would say there's like a fundamental one too, which I often, I, I, you know, I share with people in mentoring uh, via the handshaking practice from Sokni Rimshay, which is mm-hmm. actually like healing some of our disconnect to our own ability to care for ourselves. Not, not mm-hmm. in the sense of like, you know, often like we already care for ourselves. Like everyone cares for themselves. There's no lack yeah. of that. The problem yeah. is how are we caring for ourselves? I think that's mm-hmm. where the fundamental disconnect happens for people. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I said a lot of stuff, but I'd love to hear. Oh, it's all great. Yeah. All great stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like how you brought up like this kind of fundamental type of like competition, like how we brought up and whatnot. And then I think of like the Bodhisattva vow and that yeah. that's another innate thing where, you know, may I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings and like, my sole purpose is to liberate myself so I can li- help liberate others. And, you know, if we're moving through the world like that, and also, you know, recognizing people's Buddha nature, uh, all of that, it's, yeah, it's a different way to move through the world. And, and I think that in the West, we need to be okay. I think one thing that's not happening is that we're holding on too tightly to those other traditions, you know, to the, if you're a Tibetan Buddhist or whatever, mm-hmm. it's like, we need to be okay with creating our own. Like it, it's okay. Like Thich Nhat Hanh always says, like, what's your Buddhism? Like if you go around to different countries, they have created their own, their own version of it. And that is not like we're throwing out like traditional stuff or whatnot, but we're integrating into what we need and to be have to have that openness to say, hey, man, it's we're we're an ai we're an ai uh world now you know we're like ai united states or wherever you are 
and you have all of these different things that are happening that were completely removed from from when the buddha was around or tibetan buddhism when it was created like hey guys we have to meet this with with what do we need and have give ourselves the permission you know to 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 do that and mm -hmm. um like you and i i mean i mean i i was in I practiced a lot of eclecticism, you know, growing up. I was lived, I grew up around Berkeley. I would read everything they had on the shelves at all the Berkeley bookstores. I spent about 13 years in uh, the Paramahansa Yogananda self-realization right. fellowship that. lineage. Yeah. Yeah. That was my, that was my kind of introduction to Eastern spirituality as well, you know? Oh, yeah. Autobiography yeah. of a yogi. Yeah. Autobiography of a yogi, classic. Yeah, I lived at the, one of their centers for a couple of years. Yeah. You know, and then, if you live like yeah, I was born and raised in California, I mean, we have so many different traditions here and and beautiful, amazing teachers from these traditions, like crazy, you know. So uh, we need to come in and and find that that common thread of what works for us and how does it work. And I think that's that's part of it. Like we're saying, like, hey, these traditions had this. We don't have this. We don't have that kind of lineage, and we don't have devotion, for example. But but look at what we do have you know we could you can we can cultivate it in in this way you know yeah yeah i think this is a i mean we could just we could get together for a whole another episode on this yeah. i think because uh <laughs> i'll just say something briefly just to share some thoughts on it and it's okay if you disagree with it you know like that's that's fine too yeah. we can just we can disagree <laughs> and, and and maybe it's an interesting conversation because we have different perspectives you know <clears throat> i think this is a very careful how do you say not careful it's a very tricky thing because often we we don't even i find or at least me i should speak for myself i wasn't given even the cultural context to understand how to how to take a wisdom tradition and integrate it into you know another cultural context and what i mean by that is <clears throat> I see it much differently now after about 23 years in the Tibetan Buddhist lineages. I see this more as a process, like if we're, you know, because I agree with you, we need to experiment. We need to see <clears throat> what, um, how to integrate these things into our culture, how to teach them in ways that are um, applicable to people, how to embody them ourselves you know, in ways mm -hmm. that are applicable to us. And I'm kind of of the notion that happens naturally when we, mm -hmm. when we, when we genuinely engage with a lineage and don't augment it, you know, initially, which, like I said, I'm a bit of an outlier on this. And what I mean by that is like, if we're immediately augmenting something before having transformed ourselves within it, we're immediately changing something we don't understand mm -hmm. on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. And so it's this tricky thing where like, I think it's a little bit of a catch 22 because we're, we're in this, you and I both acknowledge, I think that, we need to make this Buddhism has to become, you know, Western at some point and or United States, you know, person, you know, French, you know, French, all the different kinds of Western countries. It needs to embody the culture from the, you know, uh, that that the people relate to. Um, but at the same time, if we're too quick to that and we throw the baby out with the bathwater, we don't get the deeper transformation, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and so that's kind mm -hmm. of my critique. Um of this where where I, I just want to name that that i think that's not an easy thing to navigate you know yeah. i'm trying to navigate it right. just by doing my own practice and sharing from my experience but also connecting people to a lineage so it's not just like you know because you, you see this all over the place the the spiritual industrial complex is large and mm -hmm. you know a huge money-making machine yeah. And that's not a bad thing because people need to make a living, but it also can skew things because then there's this tendency in the West to be like, well, I'm now going to make the, you know, you know, insert name version of the Dharma and, and like yeah. TM it, you know, and like sell it. And, and it's kind of missing the point. I feel like, well, yeah. why not just share with people? I think the work you and I generally do, and I'm not criticizing anyone else, just raising a critique, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is, you know, we, we try to understand and embody the Dharma where we still both consider ourselves as beginners, even though we've been doing this for many, many years. And then we share our wisdom with people and help them in their practice and then point them to other teachers when they need that. 
yeah, you know, in, yeah in the absolutely. lineage in the lineage mm-hmm. so i don't mm-hmm. know i'm just kind of sharing that i think we share a similar view but i just wanted to also say you know you're welcome to disagree if you need to yeah yeah i mean i think that for one it could be definitely multi-generational like that yeah. that shift and the change but one thing i i i would like to see more of is um a more of a reliance on the elders you know there are and you know I'm I'm almost 50. I don't consider myself an elder in this at all. Like I've been doing it maybe 30 years or something, but there's elders, elders that are, that have been doing it, you know, 50 years and, and whatnot that are up in the West. And they spent many, many years, many, many years, you know, with, with authentic teachers, you know, that the 30 something years with authentic teachers and still sit with authentic, you know, teachers to this day that, you know, lineage holders and whatnot. And, and and I think that we need to rely on on those elders a little bit more because I think those elders are are really hip on giving the reins to the younger generation, like and mm. and and to really say, hey guys, things have changed so much. Like you guys know so much, and it's maybe a generation of releasing the, the reins more than ever. Like the elders have released the reins, even to the top of organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, have done so. And I think there's a beautiful aspect to that. There's a, a wisdom like you're mentioning that can only be found in practice. You know, there's the worldly stuff that's happening, but then there's like, you know, if you sat with yourself for decades, you know, then there's, there's that type of wisdom too. And like, hey, I know the political environment and this and that environment is shifting and changing. And then can we meet that with like sitting for 50 years? You know, yeah. can we meet it like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's really valuable what you're saying. Um, it's true. You know, and, and, and again, I don't mean to bring the pessimistic side. You know, it's another one of the predicaments because we, we have a culture that does not respect elders, you know. Uh, we don't have a way uh, of, of you know, understanding that, yes, like like, you know, maybe elders can't produce as much material things in a community, but they have, like you're saying, all this wisdom. I often say, like, I really, you know, want to see that back in our Western culture, at least in the United States, of respecting the wisdom of elders. Because, you know, whether they're, they've done tons and tons of meditation or not, they they have often a lot of wisdom just because they've gone through more crap. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like just if you've gone through more suffering, yeah, you have some kind of wisdom to offer. And so I, I agree with you, I, but I, I see it as kind of an uphill battle because we don't have a culture of respecting elders. I mean, what do we do with elders in our society? We kind of throw them away more or less, unfortunately, you know? Yeah, 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 that's kind of what I'm pointing to. It's, um, yeah, and yeah, just kind of honoring honoring the, the sitting practice because yeah. yeah. it takes a long time, like you're mentioning, like, throwing out some of the stuff before you absorb it. Sometimes if you, you know, somebody goes on a retreat and then wants to teach it or something. And, and I understand the maybe wanting to help because you're like, Oh, that really helped me. I want to help other people with it. Um, But like anything else, you want to sit with it. And so, and so there's only wisdom. There's some wisdom that just comes from that, from that sitting part and really integrating it. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, my business partner, Dr. Bassa, and yeah. I talk about this sometimes where, you know, there's content creators and they're creating content and getting followers that way and getting like respect and, you know, people see them as, as authorities. And yet there's some people in the trenches doing the work, you know, if you're a psychiatrist and, and, and again, no knock on people doing both. Yeah. Sometimes you're just in the trenches you know, if you're meditating uh, hours a day and then you're going to work with one-on-one clients and then you're going to do this and this, um, you know, content creating c- creates, uh, it takes a long time. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, can't I do both sometimes, don't. you know, so, <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think we are missing gems. There's teachers. Yeah, there's, there's, um, there's teachers like, the teachers that I feel like the most amazing, amazing teachers don't have any social media presence at all. Like you, nobody knows them. Um, so, so yeah, I think that having some respect for, for people who are offline completely, 
who are dedicating themselves completely to their to their craft. And maybe it's not a hierarchy thing, but it's, it's definitely a respect thing saying, hey, you know, um, just because you have 60,000 followers doesn't mean everything. You know, sometimes this person was a monk or a nun for 25 years and they're in retreat and we need to respect that type of something too. Yeah. 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 Beautifully yeah. put. And and just to segue to respect your time too, um, I think that's a nice segue into talking a little bit about your work with um, sustainable caring and gentle grieving, you know, moving a little bit into kind of uh, a secular approach to healing work too. Um, and uh, what did I want to say, uh, you know, because what something I noticed in the work you do through sustainable caring and gentle grieving is you invite in staff, um, colleagues, collaborators, you know, who, who maybe aren't, you know, the most famous in their field, but you invite in people that you feel have wisdom and depth to offer. So, you know, I'd love to hear more on kind of the work you're doing as well as that component of kind of, you know, I see you actually walking the walk with what you just said, you know, because you do invite in people into your organizations that, that you feel have depth to offer. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And a hundred percent is kind of like one of our pillars of, yeah. uh, and and one reason that we were doing what we're doing. So, yeah, I co-founded Sustainable Caring, and we offer a plethora of of uh, wellness programs in the secular space. And one reason why we wanted to do it was we were in the wellness space. You know, I worked in mental health for for a long time, and and whatnot and you know taught meditation in clinical settings for a long time and and so dr vasa and i both saw that there was you know, a need for mindfulness meditation compassion creativity uh meeting burnout with that meeting a lot of these different ailments uh with those types of practices uh and then also too, we saw like our amazing friends who were being solopreneurs uh, in that arena, mm. you know, in the wellness arena, and not being able to keep up with marketing themselves and doing this, and then also maybe not wanting to market themselves. Like yeah. they want to do their thing, and they dedicated they're dedicated to their practices and whatnot. So we're like, well, why don't we all come together and, and create something that we could help with the marketing and the branding and the websites and, you know, those types of things that need to be done when you create a company and go out and, you know, get the, get the clients and stuff like this, and then hire people who we just know and love because they happen to be totally badass at what they do. <laughs> um, and, and I hate to say it, but sometimes in wellness, you know, it is a little bit of the wild, wild west, you know, you can, you could be a yoga teacher in a weekend or you could be doing it for 20 years. You could yeah. be a meditation. You can get certified in meditation. I'm not, I'm not certified in meditation yeah. at all. You yeah. know, I've been doing it for 30 years and I've taken teacher trainings and I took a teacher training because I know and, and I love them. I love the lineage that I took the teacher training in and they didn't give me a certificate because that's not what it's about. It's yeah. about the teaching you know um and so it is a bit of a wild wild west and and i'm i'm protective of dharma <laughs> i i want meditation to be taught well uh, uh you know scott you you joined me on, a, on an, a really amazing uh meditation teacher training that you and i did together and and we brought in i brought in like like five or six i can't remember the of uh, uh, the best meditation teachers i could find and I gave away pretty much all of my like part of the money. I didn't care, you know. It's all about like I think you know you really uh, embody this too, which is just like a real commitment to the integrity of these practices that we've been doing for a long, long time, and and really have helped us out. And that's what it's about, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. So yeah, Doctor Vasa and I just really want to merge those two worlds of like. Hey, it's great to be teaching in hospitals. It's wonderful to be teaching a team of surgeons um, like meditation. That's that's awesome. Um, and and we could also employ people that we 
that we love and care about and that are really, really good at what they do. Yeah, wonderful. I've always appreciated you very much for your integrity and the work you do. You know, we've been collaborators, like you said, on a few different projects. Um, and so, so yeah, so that's that's awesome. Like that integrity you have in the work you do with sustainable caring and, and uh, gentle grieving. So, you know, just for the listeners, like I'd love if you can share a little bit more. I mean, you shared a little bit about sustainable caring. If you could share more about gentle grieving, sort of the core of the work of both, um, a little bit more about maybe, you know, um, who are you looking for to, to be a part of it? Like, who's it for? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Gentle Grieving is one of our newer um, offerings, um, but actually we've been working on for probably the longest. And this stems just from a motivation of Dr. Vasa uh, being a, a psychiatrist for a number of years and not having... A, a resource that she could just refer to because when it comes to grief and loss, it's very acute. It's kind of more than like a clinician can handle a, a lot of times if somebody's going through something. So we created a membership type of offering. So it's just ongoing. So people can refer to us and, and we have a, an online portal with meditations, journaling prompts, you know, creativity, um, things to do and, and whatnot. And then we meet virtually twice a month as well. So uh, we have that kind of, you know, that that human contact as well. And, and so, yeah, like with the grief and loss, so all of our, all of our programs merged like meditation, self-compassion, creativity, those are kind of like the, the pillars. And so yeah. it's very similar with, with our grief and loss course. It's not so much processy, you know, as far as we do have clinicians online and whatnot, but it's more supporting each other through shared stories and whatnot, as far as that kind of community aspect. And then internally, yeah, we're, we're teaching meditation. You know, how are we meeting grief and loss and, and, and suffering? And as far as kind of, um, who's, who's it for, um, all types of loss and, 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 and grief. Obviously when we speak to, to grief and loss, a lot of it, you know, we think of like losing a loved one, mm-hmm. but, but we suffer loss all the time. <laughs> we suffer loss of like, it could be a, it could be a job or it could be, um, of an ability, you know, like right now, like last couple of weeks, I'm 48 years old and, um, I've been looking at the computer for, uh, the last couple of weeks and I get getting dizzy and I'm oh, like, wow. what's going on? You know? And, and so, yeah, on Monday I went and, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm getting glasses and, yeah. and, um, and I've been suffering the loss of like being able to look at my phone or look at my computer screen. Like it's getting weird, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it's small, it's a small loss, but it's a little, it's a little disorienting, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so there's there's a lot of different types of loss. We had a great interview with Mika Shah, who is one of our teachers at Sustainable Caring, and she's a former Olympic caliber athlete. And uh, she had a great interview with, you know, suffering loss um, as an athlete. And of course, you lose abilities, um, yeah. which you really self-identify with, like this ability to do what you used to do. Yeah. And, um, and she brought up a good point of just, suffering a loss like in a race <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. she's like hey, every time you line up you know you could lose you could lose <laughs> you know um but it's yeah it's very powerful you know this is definitely you know the, the this course is uh meeting really intense suffering right and but uh it's something that's beautiful that we could help each other you know through stuff like this yeah yeah, yeah wonderful um yeah, I mean, it, it, grief is, it's so many things, right? So it's, it's, it's a very challenging process to go through. And I, I like how you're naming it as, as more than just um, sickness and death. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you, as you're talking, I was thinking, yeah, I think I, I mean, I have losses every single day, you know, yeah, most day. of them are, are small, but, it, you yeah. know, small and large are relative. Like for some people, mm-hmm. you know, what to us is a relatively small loss can be huge for them. It's just yeah. relative. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I was, yeah, I was, I was sitting in actually my eye appointment before they did my eye stuff, you know, 
yeah. and I didn't know what was going on because it is a really weird feeling, you know. And um, there were some people in the waiting room, and and some are older, and and they were alone, you know, just sitting by themselves. And and I thought, man, like I don't think anyone should go into an appointment like a doctor appointment alone, mm. you know, because what if they heard bad news? They're just sitting there by themselves. You know, what if, what if somebody gets bad news and they're by themselves and, you know, how are they going to get home? You know, that type of thing. I was just thinking about that. And, and it's like, you know, being there with each other for, for these times in, in whatever way that we can, you know, cause like you said, it's relative, like somebody can just go in there and get, you know, so, so some news at, at, at any time. So, so yeah, being there for each other and, and caring for one another in any way that we can uh is i think so so helpful yeah yeah wonderful um so i'll put the links in in the youtube video here if you're if you're on listening on spotify or itunes um they can check you out at it's it's gentlegrieving.org i believe or or yeah so so, yes gentlegrieving.com okay and sustainablecaring.com has gentle grieving in there too okay so like if you go to sustainablecaring.com, you can click on the gentle grieving. Yeah. yeah. And so okay. you could find it, you could find it all there too. And but yeah, gentlegrieving.com. We have a we have a cool blog. Um and all of our like our interviews that we're doing are on there too. And um we created a, a new YouTube channel as well. So we have to interview Scott for gentle grieving. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing. Yeah, I, I um, my picture's there on the website. So I think that's right. <laughs> He's part of the team. Part of the team. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and and, and you know, for those of you who just want to check out Casey's uh, work as a Dharma and meditation teacher, you can go to CaseyHow.com. I'll also put that in the link in YouTube. H O W E is the last name. Yeah, and, and his uh, first name is spelled weird. C A Y C E. How's Casey normally spelled? Well, there's a lot, but C A S E Y. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Common. Yeah. But uh, I was named after Edgar Casey for uh. the old peeps out there that remember that guy. He was an old <laughs> clairvoyant. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. The neat dude, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so just anything uh, on your mind or anything you wanted to chat about before we, we wrap up, Casey, anything we talked about? We, we went pretty pretty heavy into kind of hardcore Dharma for a minute, uh, but anything just in, in kind of your secular work versus your Dharma work, anything you want to share before we close? Hmm. I think, we, yeah, we covered, a lot of, we covered a lot of ground. I just want to thank you for the work that you're yeah. doing and you're so inspiring. You know, I think that... Um, you know, everyone follows Scott because it, there's not too many people out there just that are, you know, dedicated to holding it down, like on the traditional end of things and uh, not selling out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so to speak. You know, there's a yeah. lot of ways, you know, Scott's really wise in, in, in business and all this stuff. And, you know, sometimes you and I talk about it. And um, yeah, there's certain things that, people could do as teachers that are more clickbait oriented and even and build courses around that and all of that stuff. So I just really honor you and your integrity to just keeping it real and keeping it very, very clear on what's happening. And, and traditional Buddhism is a very tough sell. (laughs) It's pretty (laughs) tough sell. Yeah. It's a tough sell. (laughs) Yeah. And, and yet it's, it's amazing and profound and, uh, so yeah, I just uh, yeah enjoy that yeah, about you. Thanks, thanks, man. Sure. I appreciate that. Um, I I will use your kind words as something to live up to more than something I am. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and you know, in a sense, I think I think it's something about I appreciate about your work too. Is I think generally we take this notion like we want to we want to help people. That's the main thing, and we just share our experience you know, our uh, way of working with what we do. And, and I think that's a way to keep it grounded as well, as opposed to like, we don't need to be something we're not. We just share from our heart what we do. And uh, mm-hmm. if there's people out there that that helps, great. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So thanks again, man. I really <laughs> thanks, appreciate brother. you. And thank you for having me on. And thank you for in the, yeah, the, the listeners out there. Um, yeah. 
thank you for for showing up. Yeah, thanks so much, Casey. And everyone, please check out sustainablecaring.com, gentlegrieving.com. But you can just check out sustainablecaring and or caseyhow.com. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) thanks so much, Casey. Lots of love, man. Thank you, my friend.